Welcome to your Friday afternoon edition of London Live. It's Jess Brady here, your guest host. Mike is on vacation for one more day. <laughs> He's back with you on Monday, back from vacation. But yes, it is Friday. It is looking like a beautiful day outside. We're seeing lots of sunshine and blue sky. Just a quick weather update. We're at 22 degrees, feeling like 25 with your Humidex. That is Just beautiful. Also looks like great weather right through the weekend. I'm very excited for all of us uh, to have some time off. If you're working this weekend, I am sorry. But at least, hopefully, you'll have some time maybe in the evenings to go out and enjoy uh, the beautiful summer weather. Now, it's going to be a busy show today. Why not end the week the same way that it has been? in that it was very busy, lots of stories, lots going on. Uh, We're going to be talking about all sorts of things. We're going to also have your chance to win a pair of Knights tickets. You know, yesterday we did a little trivia, a little trivia question for your chance to win a, a pair of tickets to a game this season. Guess what? We're doing it again. Walter won yesterday. So we'll we'll have your chance for that. That's coming up uh, in the second half hour of the program. So around just after 1.30 news, uh, I'll give you your question and uh, then you can call in and try to win a set of tickets for a game this season. It's very exciting. Those regular season uh, single tickets, single game tickets, go on sale as of tomorrow. So you can go to LondonKnights.com or you can go to Budweiser Gardens in person. Go to the box office, chat with the lovely staff there. They are fantastic, very friendly, very helpful. So you can chat with them there about getting your single game tickets as of tomorrow. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, also, speaking of tickets, um, there is a fantastic production of Grease that is starting up at the Huron County Playhouse up in Grand Bend. And we will have a chance to chat with one of the stars of the production and also give you your chance to win a set of tickets for closing night. Aha. So we are your ticket show this Friday, full of entertainment and lots of good stuff. Uh, also, what's in a name? Yes. You may think of Shakespeare, a rose by any other name. Would it smell as sweet? Well, we're going to be talking to Dr. Penny Pexman about that. She has, uh, she and some colleagues have done some work in terms of understanding our interpretation of our names and what they mean. And does that have any weight? Do we take on characteristics of of of, of a, a certain a certain kind depending on how people uh, interpret our names? Some names sound softer. Are others more forceful? We're going to get into that. That's all coming up later in the show. But to start uh, the program, I was honored to have a chance to talk with uh, a very a person who is going through a lot right now. Her entire family is, and that's Abby Roby. She is the mom of Tristan Roby, who uh, tragically was severely injured in a crash uh, back on July 21st out on Exeter Road. He was cycling with a friend and he was hit by a vehicle uh, which took off. The investigation into that case is still ongoing. Police are looking for information uh, as to who the driver was and uh, involved all of all of that stuff. So there's still lots going on in that case. But Abby took some time to chat with me and talk about um, how Tristan's doing and how their GoFundMe is progressing as the community is rallying around uh, Tristan and his family to give them as much support as they can. And so uh, we have that chat now with uh, with Abby. Abby, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I know that uh, obviously there is a lot on the go and, uh, you know, probably chatting on the radio is, is is not, you know, high on the priority list for the agenda here. But thank you so much for taking the time. You're welcome. Um, it's it's 
nice to uh, let the people that have really been uh, supporting Tristan with prayers to um, um, and to with the GoFundMe to you know give him a little update and of how he's doing. Yeah. And that certainly is, uh, you know, the the prime concern here about about how Tristan is doing. And maybe let's let's start there. How how is he doing today? How are you, how is his medical condition going? Well, he's uh, still in a coma. Um, uh, he was. We did an EEG a couple of days ago, which was uh, much better than the first one that we had a, a little over a week ago. Uh, it was pretty flat, the first one. Uh, this one, he's got a lot of activity, so his uh, brain is active. So that was really good news for uh, us as a family. Anyway, we celebrate every little thing. Um, and uh, he was uh, doing a lot of responses. So he responds to all his brainstem activities he responds to now. Uh, so his pupils are finally dilating. His um, uh, He responds to pain. Um, and uh, And then... Now, like when he's when he's stable, um, and I call it his awake time, uh, he'll follow your uh, you your voice with his eye, which is something new as well. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, and uh, the other day, I asked him to uh, squeeze my hand, and he squeezed my hand twice with just two fingers, but um, he still did it. So that that's really really promising. And, Unfortunately, right now, um, he really was fighting a fever yesterday, and, and they did a chest X-ray uh, this morning. Um, they do one every morning, and, and uh, it showed um, um, that he possibly has an infection again in his right lung. So that explains the fever, and unfortunately, while he's fevered, he doesn't really do much. So we just uh, keep talking to him and playing music and playing his favorite movies and... and, and um, and we just wait now for the fever to go down. Yeah, it's, you know, that's uh, hearing about the the activity, like his brain activity and, and the fact that he, he squeezed your hand. It, that is, like you said, it's uh, taking those those victories, those little moments, right? And it must mean ever so much to you guys. I know that uh, uh, you've been there with him right through everything since this began. And you were saying your daughter's been there too uh, when we chatted earlier in the day. It's, uh, I can't imagine. Yeah, and his girlfriend, Ashlyn, mm-hmm. she hasn't left either so she's been by his side she normally sleeps here every night sometimes we fight over who sleeps here but uh (laughs) um she's been supporting him all the way through as well so he he and he's got such a, a big support group so that's really really important and I'm sure that you know he can he can sense you know that that you guys are there. I'm, and then the fact that you know, like you said, you're playing his favorite music and and movies and everything. It's it's that's, you know, it's trying to to make I guess that situation as as familiar for him as 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 possible. You know, it's it's it. And one of those things, anyone who's spent time in uh, in hospitals, you know, that it can be, it's hard, right? Because that's not your home. It's not necessarily a comfortable place. But you guys all being there for him and with him uh, through this all, I'm, I know that, that that would obviously mean so, so much to him. Yeah. And uh, his friends come by and and uh, I just tell him, just, hey, just talk about what you've been doing and, you know, what's going on and um, and just, you know, have a normal conversation so that, you know, when he wakes up, he doesn't feel so far behind, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so, you know, it really helps. And, and you can tell that he um, understands or he, he's getting some sort of response because we can watch his blood pressure and his breathing. Um, so whenever we 
uh, we talk or, or, or do anything, he, it fluctuates. So, um, you know, that we know that he's hearing something in there. Um, so it, it's so important for, for that to happen. It, it's like um, uh, two days ago, uh, he, um, um, Ashlyn, his girlfriend, uh, she goes, oh, you're so cute. I just want to kiss you. And he puckered his lips. Oh. You know, it's, it's these uh, really cool things, right? And, um, um, and, and it's so hard because oftentimes, you know, when I'm talking to uh, reporters, they say, well, what kind of guy is he? Like, and I'm like, you know, he's, he's a really good boy. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. um, you know, he literally would take the shirt off his back for someone. Uh, like I've had to replace coats because he's like, oh, I saw this kid. He's a, a ninth grader. And he didn't have a coat. And he seemed cold, so I gave him a coat. Yeah. I'm like, okay, how if we go to buy another coat? <laughs> oh, bless him. But, uh, yeah, yeah, that's the kind of kid he is. I know that um, um, they had something going on, and I can't remember what it was, but they had like a spring formal or some dance that they couldn't make it to, and his girlfriend was really bummed out about it. So um, she was at work, and, and he decked out the, the, the whole basement. He put lights and a little um, disco ball, and he had, like, a punch bowl, and he dressed up in a suit, and he had music so that when she came over, it would be a surprise, and then they had their own little dance. So, like, that's the kind of kid he is. Like, it's, you know, it's hard to explain what he's like, but, you know, he's he's a really good kid. Like, he's always yeah. thinking about everyone else. I just hope that he's thinking about himself a little bit right now. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, you know, here's, here, like we've alluded to uh, the GoFundMe uh, just briefly before, but mm-hmm. he, there are so many people thinking about him right now uh, in, in terms of reaching out to, to provide uh, some help for you guys and the family. The last time I checked the total, I think we were, we, you guys were over $14,000. That's probably gone up since the last time I checked. I mean, the response has just been, has been massive, eh? It has, it has, and um, what I try to do every night is I, um, you know, when it's quiet and uh, visitors are down, and I try to go through and I personally send a message to everyone that uh, sent something, and I just ask for prayers, right? Because prayers have uh, have taken him a long way. It's it's a miracle already that he survived the, the accident, and um, you know, it's it'll be a, a you know a more prayer miracle. Uh, him to uh, uh, wake up because that's what we're waiting for now. So it's been wonderful because I know he's going to require uh, a lot of rehab. He's going to require probably a wheelchair. Um, so you know, my my friends were the ones that said you should set this up because you don't know what you're going to need. And uh, you know, at the like right now, my brain works behind, <laughs> so uh, um, I can't really think too far into the future so i can't predict what he's going to need so yeah. um you know it's it's going to be a blessing act uh, when when he wakes up to to have that for him uh, for whatever it is that he needs yeah absolutely so and i'm so grateful for everyone that's uh that's contributed and uh prayers we had a, a little fundraiser uh last saturday um just a it's normally just a uh like a, a friends get together, um, and it's one of my old students, um, and uh, she wanted to dedicate it to Tristan. Um, so it was really nice, and, and it was nice to go out there, and you know they had music playing, they played a few of his favorite songs, and, and you know it was just really really nice to to feel all the love and the support.
Absolutely. It's um, it's times like this where uh, we all kind of understand who in our lives and who, who is there to, to really support us. And I'm, I'm just so happy that you have such a strong connection and network of people, of friends and family and everything that I've heard uh, in the last you know weeks as this as this has unfolded, this story of, of Tristan and what happened uh, has just been a, a lot of support. And I'm, I'm so glad that that's the case for you guys. Yeah. And uh, I mean, before this even happened, I mean, there's just so many other families. I mean, um, Tristan is just one of like over a thousand people that have been hit by cars on their bikes this year alone. Um, and, um, you know, even as a family before this happened, we've had long discussions about, um, you know, the city not having proper bike lanes and, and, um, you know, the busier roads not having even sidewalks, and because uh, that's what happened to him, right? He he took the sidewalk as far as he could, and then when he got on the road after a few minutes, that's when he got hit by the car. So, yeah. Um, so what what a friend of mine is doing um, with um, Rockies is uh, in se- September 28th, I believe. Uh, as long as we could find somebody that can rally bicycles, uh, we'd like to have like a um, a little. Um, uh, ride, nice. um, just for awareness. Um, so we've got, uh, so uh, um, I think she's calling it two wheels. Uh, so anybody with on two wheels, um, so motorcycles and bicycles. Um, so I have put out a, a request for anybody who can rally bicyclists together to go on a rally for, you know, just to just to say, hey, City Hall, you know, we need a little bit more protection for people on bikes. I think you'll get um, a massive response on that, yeah. Yeah, I just, um, I just haven't had anyone come forward to, with support for the bicycle. So um, I've reached out to some of the people that were bicyclists. Um, I just haven't had uh, um, any response yet. So, so that's the only thing that's holding it up right now. And um, it, it, you know, it should be it should be good, and it, and it gives the community an opportunity to to you know remember that there's all these people on bikes. I mean, little kids are getting hit by cars, right? Um, even if they're with their parents, and um, you know, you're in the PCCU and you see all these things, and you think, oh, you know, it's still going on. Like you know, even after Tristan, uh, there's been more people be um, you know have had bicycle accidents and it's just such a an avoidable tragedy and absolutely no and and i i I bet you that we'll we'll be following along with the efforts for that that bike rally as it as we get closer to it and and please uh you know keep us updated on 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 everything that's gone on and abby i know that uh as as we mentioned there's a lot on the go there for you guys right now and i I don't want to take up any more of your time and and take you away from from tristan but i can't tell you how greatly i appreciate you uh chatting with me today and and giving us an update on on how tristan is doing and uh, you know we're all keeping our fingers crossed that uh, and sending positive thoughts to you and the family uh and you know we'll just we'll check in with you again and and we hope to continue hearing such such positive news about uh how he's doing and uh we're keeping you all in our thoughts all right thank you so much and uh again i appreciate all the prayers and positive energy coming our way it really is making a difference for him that was abby roby mom of tristan roby who's in hospital recovering from that crash on July the 21st. Now, if you're interested in contributing to the GoFundMe, you can go to GoFundMe's main website and search for Tristan's Journey. 
Also, if you have any information about this investigation, about the crash that happened, uh, you know, please call London Police, their non-emergency line, non-emergency line, or Crime Stoppers, and uh, send in the information that you have. Okay, we need to take a quick break. When we come back, we're chatting with 980 CFPL's very own Andrew Graham about a story that's making headlines out of St. Thomas, and uh, we'll tell you all about it coming up on London Live. It's Jess Brady here, your guest host on this Friday afternoon edition of London Live. Mike's back in the talk seat on Monday after his vacation, getting some well-earned R&R. So before the break, I told you that uh, we were going to talk a little bit about this story out of St. Thomas that's been making waves, if you will. (laughs) Anyone who's uh, listened in on our news coverage in the last day or so, or listened into our brother station, FM 96, has likely heard about the case of Holland Street. And uh, yeah, it's there's a sidewalk on Holland Street that is real, real wavy. And uh, Andrew Graham joins me to talk about this. Andrew Graham, you've had a very long day. I appreciate you sticking around to chat with me about the wavy walkway, the what is it? What, what was the other term? Uh, the, the peculiar promenade is right. what, I, what I like to call it, yes. Because this what <laughs> I'll tell you that I just want to call it the Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, broken like concrete and smooth paving dreams, maybe. Sure, sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So take me through this because I've seen lots of chit chat on social media. St. Thomas, what's going on with this with this street? Yeah, so a bit of an investigative feature on 980 CFPL's part. So um, <laughs> our, our, uh, our friends over at FM 96 first shared this post. And basically what you see on Facebook is this sidewalk, but it's not like other sidewalks. It's really wavy. And if you go on sidewalks regularly, you know, walk, sidewalks are usually straight. Um, so again, a lot of waves. And we saw this. We we're like, okay, what's going on here? Is this real? Is this Photoshop? So our man in St. Thomas, uh, Mike Stubbs, yeah. he was down there. He lives down there. He was nice enough to take a photo, um, take even a video of someone riding a bike over it just to show the waviness. And it is indeed wavy. Uh, I contacted the city. They confirmed the waviness to me, the concrete waves, whatever you want to call them. And yes, we have a wavy walkway in St. Thomas. My next question, who I? <laughs> I well, the, I I'm fairly certain it was not intentional. I mean, they've said it's not intentional. Um, what I hear is that it's a grading issue. Um, uh. I spoke with the manager of Capital Works, Patrick Ankhart, and he told me, at least judging by the photo, what he thinks it is is that they were trying to match these low driveways with these high these high grounds beside the driveways and all these sidewalks private sidewalks that are different levels so i guess just imagine you know you have a surface that's going you know in hills i guess yeah and the sidewalk just kind of grips that and it's a retrofit so basically they're adding a sidewalk onto an area that's already there okay which what i hear is trickier that's what uh patrick ankar told me it's a bit trickier to do that so you know something happened in between construction and now there's a wavy walkway wow okay well and and (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, do they they plan to fix it? Well, what's the timeline on that? If so, I've been told um, that they're going to look into it. They're going to talk to the contractor, see what happened. But if a fix does arrive, it likely won't be until later this year. And at the latest, it'd be next spring. Oh, boy. So um, folks in St. Thomas, you're gonna have to get used to that sidewalk. Oh, boy. I mean, I just think of 
in the wintertime, like we we were joking about this a little bit about like yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. there were a few gifts exchanged, yep. um, uh, gifts G I F's, um, yep. <laughs> and I I put one of like a little a little wee piglet on an icy sidewalk, and it was like sliding around, and I I'm worried for anyone who is <laughs> having, exactly. gonna have to walk on that when the weather changes, and exactly. I I worry that exactly it's gonna be a little bit dicey, and something we've seen too. I mean, and on this more serious note as well, I mean something we've seen in London. Um, um, from accessibility advocates was that sidewalks in general can be very tricky for yeah. those with accessibility issues. So, I mean, to think of a wavy sidewalk, I mean, I know it's something we can laugh at, but yeah. in reality, it does pose a huge risk for uh, people who have to deal with that. So that's yeah. another thing as well. So, And before anyone calls in or emails and is like, just Brady, don't take, you're not taking this seriously. I am. It's just, mm-hmm. you know. It's not every day you see a wavy sidewalk. You really yeah. not. And really again, not. I've been walking on sidewalks all my life. I've I, never seen anything like that. I've either. never seen a sidewalk like that. No, in my life, yes. I had to laugh. Uh, as we already mentioned, Mike Stubbs went out there and, and took some photos and video for us. Yes. And there was uh, <laughs> a young guy who obliged Mike, and he was mm-hmm. he was already drive or riding his bike along the sidewalk. But Mike said, "Hey, would you mind? I just want to get video of of you going along this exactly. sidewalk." And it's hilarious. I wanted to ask the poor kid how many G's he yeah. experienced as he was. <laughs> Going along, it reminds me of a roller coaster. Exactly, and we should uh, mention that Mike is on vacation. That's so he, right. He is doing this out of the bottom of his heart, oh, out of the passion for the investigation yeah. into the peculiar promenade That's that right. is on Holland Street in St. Thomas. My goodness, the Boulevard of Broken Concrete Dreams. Exactly, Andrew Graham. Thank you so much for your time today, and go on, enjoy your weekend. I hope it's fabulous. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Okay, we need to uh, go on and enjoy the newscast from Jacqueline LaBelle that's coming up. And uh, on the other side of the news, I am going to give you your shot to win tickets to a night's game. Okay, you have to be tuning in to understand and to to send in your answer. Okay, no Twitter, nothing like that. I'm going to tweet about it to tee it up. But you got to be tuning in after the news, listen to the news, get your details, and then listen to me again on London Live on 980 CFPL. Nah, it's not Mike Stubbs. It's Jess Brady. I'm your guest host this week on London Live. Mike's on vacation. He is back on Monday. And also, as we, as Andrew has also noted when I chatted with him before the break, Mike is on vacation, but he is still helping us out. Yeah, because that's just the kind of guy that Mike is. He is fantastic and we love him very, very much. So major shout out to Mike. And uh, actually, Mike helped me a little bit with this question. He helped me get some answers that I was I was looking for because I came up with the idea and I was like, oh, this could be fun. Get our our London Knights, uh, you know, numbers people in the mix on this. Get them tracking down, scratching their heads, combing back through their memories for this question. Because if you get this question right and you chat with producer Kelly, you give her the the right answer, you will win a pair of tickets for a game this season. Very exciting. And you're beating the box office, technically, because single-game tickets go on sale tomorrow. So you can get them through LondonKnights.com or through the box office at Bud Gardens. You go down and see the lovely staff that work there. They are super nice and very helpful. But like I said, this is your chance to beat the box office. And uh, yeah, it's it's a fun giveaway. I think this is actually my first time uh, giving away tickets on the show, like yesterday and today. And uh, it's it's a fun experience. I'm I'm pumped to like give people a chance to go and see the nights because, as I said yesterday, and as anyone knows who has been to a game, it really is an electric uh, setting. 
when you are at a game, whether it's preseason or like full on regular season or playoffs, especially. Oh, my God. It's amazing when you're there for playoffs. The house is packed. The house of green. It's a great time. Lots of fun. Great crowd. And always a a great time cheering on the team because they are fantastic. But then again, I'm biased because I'm from London and been a big fan. Yeah. Okay. So here's the question, because you're probably like, Jess, get to the question. We want to win these tickets. And I also will mention that our phone number here in studio is 519-643-2222. 519-643-2222. If you're out of town, you want to come to a game. one 354 8255 1-866-354-8255. Okay. So here's your question. Get your thinking caps on. Okay. Which London Knight holds the record for the most number of goals in a game? Which London Knight holds the record for the most number of goals in a game? This is actually kind of a trick question, and this could work in your favor because there are actually a number of people who hold this record. It's a bit of a tie, like a, like a six-way tie. This is where Mike Stubbs comes in because I, I, I wrote to him and I said, Mike, where might I find this information? The person to find that information is Mike, and he was gracious enough to help me out with this. So there are six people who have the tie record for the most number of goals in a game. That number is five. If you call in and you give me even just one of the right answers, the right name, then you win the tickets. This is very exciting. So I'm looking for the players, one of the players who has the record for the most number of goals in a game. For the London Knights, there are six people that share this title. We have a caller. It's very exciting. Will they have the right answer? Oh, we've got a couple. Okay. Here we go. Caller. What's, hello. Welcome to the show, first of all. And uh, do you, you have an answer for me. Hello? Hello? Uh oh. They are not there. They've dropped the call. They didn't want their chance to win. Or there was some kind of a technical issue, perhaps. That is unfortunate. But if you were on the line and you still want a chance to give me an answer, call back 519 643 2222. I see producer Kelly. She is busy over there taking calls. So we've got some answers coming in. We do. We do. The lines are lighting up. But yeah. This is a popular contest. Everyone loves the London Knights, as they should, because they're awesome. And again, this is for two tickets to a, a regular season game for some time this season. Okay, I'm going to try this line. Caller, welcome to the show. Uh-oh. Hello? Hi there. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Who am I talking with? Todd. Todd, welcome. Thank you very much for the call. We uh, we have a little bit of a technical issue where names aren't popping up on the screen to tell me who it is. So I apologize for not uh, greeting you with your name there, Todd. Uh, thank you, though, for the call. And, and do you have an answer? My guess is Danny Savret. No, he's not on the list. But a good guess. Danny's fantastic. Thanks. Good luck. Yeah, thank you so much. Have a great day. Okay, so we had our first answer, Danny. Danny Savret, it's not. Danny's not on the list. So again, there are six people that are on this list. They share the title of most number of goals in a game, five. I will also tell you another name that is not on the list, and that is one Aaron Lobb. 
<laughs> he was like my fave player when I was younger. And uh, he actually scored four in one game. And this was back when they played at the Ice House. And I couldn't go to the game because with my my best friend, Amanda, we used to go uh, when we were younger and uh, super shy. We never talked to anybody. We just were there to enjoy the game for itself. And he scored four goals in that one game. I wasn't there because I had pneumonia and pleurisy in my lung. It was bad. So my parents quite rightly were like, you're not going to a damp hockey arena <laughs> to, to see a game when you are ill. And I mean, that's a wise choice by my parents. Very wise. Okay. We still are having some issues with our phone line. So don't give up. Keep calling in. 519-643-2222. And you can also call us from out of town. 1-866-354-8255. So yeah, I was like, that's where, kind of where I got the inspiration for that question. Because I thought of that game and I wondered who does hold the record. So that's why I called... Uh, that's why I called Mike Stubbs and asked him for some help. Okay, we've got another person on the line. We've got a caller. Hello, caller. Welcome to the show. What is your guess? Um, Ty Domi. Not Ty Domi, Max Domi. <laughs> no, good guess, but he's not on the list. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Okay, thank you. Okay, next we are going to Rick, I believe. Rick, are you there? Hi, is this Rick? No. Nope. No. Who's this then? It's Mike. It's Mike. Okay. Mike, what's your guess? So we're looking for someone that scored five goals in a game. Yep. And there's and six you, people to choose from. And you've given no clues. Oh, I told you there were six of them and there was five goals. Okay. I'm going to go with Robbie Shrimp. No, he's not on the list. Darn it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for the call. Bye. Bye. Okay. Now this, I believe, is Rick. Rick, are you there? Rick? Rick, <laughs> it's the magic of radio, and this is just one of those things. Rick, are you there? Hello. Hi, Rick. Is that you? Yes. Perfect. I hear you got a guess for me on on who is uh, one of the people who shares number for most goals for the London Knights in uh, a game. Josh. Josh Beaulieu. <gasps> Sir, you are correct. We have a winner. Ding, ding, ding. Rick, nice job. Oh, thank you. Fantastic. So you are going to chat with my producer, Kelly, again. We're going to get uh, some details from you uh, in terms of your contact stuff. And then we're going to forward that on to our promotions department and they will hook you up with your tickets. Rick, you're a big fan, clearly. Oh, uh, had season tickets since 2004. Fantastic. All right. So dedicated. So you have seen the team in uh, a number of seasons now. And then, you know, you just know how fantastic it is. That's a great Oh, looking forward to this year. Absolutely. Should be a good one. We're, we're keeping all our fingers crossed that it's uh, successful and that the guys have a great time. Oh, I hope so. Awesome. Go yeah, go Knights, go. Absolutely. I'm going to put you on hold here, Rick, and uh, you'll be chatting with Kelly again in a second, okay? Okay, thank you. No worries. Thank you. Congratulations. Have a good day. You too. All right, so we got our winner. Fantastic. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will be chatting about what's in a name. Yeah. Do we think of someone differently because of how their name sounds or does it conjure up uh, personality traits that we think they might have? Well, we're going to talk to a researcher from Calgary who has looked at this issue. It's a really interesting topic. So that's coming up on London Live after this.
Welcome back to the program. It's Jess Brady here. I'm your guest host this week. Mike is back on Monday. So you have one more day of me. And it's been a fun week. It's been a really good time. I've enjoyed it very much. And uh, this show has been uh, interesting so far. We got some tickets given away to Rick for the London Knights. Again, uh, single game tickets go on sale tomorrow. You can get them through LondonKnights.com or at Budweiser Gardens at the box office there. So that's great. So we're just we're ticking things off our list here. Before we had our break, I told you that we were going to talk about names and what sometimes they suggest about ourselves, what people, the ideas that people get when they hear our names, what they might uh, think about our personalities, even before they even know us. Yeah, it's very interesting. Now, someone that I spoke to about this is Dr. Penny Pexham, Pexman, my apologies. She's a professor of psychology at the University of Calgary, and she joins me now with more about this, this whole idea that people sense things about our names. Penny, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me this afternoon. I appreciate it. My pleasure. So your article that uh, my producer Jacqueline Carbone came across the other day, uh, she sent it on to me. I read it. I thought it was fascinating that we are looking at this idea of what our names suggest to people. Uh, so it sounds like this work was, was going on at uh, University of Calgary with some other colleagues as well, the initial studies. Absolutely, yes. So it's work I did with um, a couple of students that I've been supervising. So one is David Sidhu. He's kind of a key. um, He leads this project as a PhD candidate. And then I have a colleague, Josh Bordage, who's also a professor in the department here. To me, reading this article, it was was fascinating because I don't think I'd ever really thought about this idea before that our names, depending on how they sound, uh, you know, they're perceived differently and even characteristics that we, we may or may not have. Tell us a little bit about the findings from this work. Sure, yeah. So we're really interested in whether it matters what something or someone is called. And it's it's a age-old question. You know, it, you can you can think about Shakespeare referring to this in Romeo and Juliet when he says, you know, Juliet says what's in a name uh, rose by any other name would sound would would smell as sweet. Um and so it's this long-standing idea that it might not matter what the the label is um in terms of figuring out what the meaning of something is. And we're really interested in what this could mean for names. So first names in particular, um, and looking at the sounds that that are in those names, so the sounds that make up the names, how those might have certain connotations or create expectations for people about what someone would look like, and also, uh, most recently, what someone's personality would be like. It's interesting. And, and in the article, there was um, a, not like a test, I would say, but it, it kind of gave the two words. And it's like, so what would you think of, uh, I'm just trying to see where it is here. It was like, m- m- where, where is it? Where oh, is it? the Maluma and yeah. Tequete. Yes. yes. Yeah. And so that's um, something that, you know, linguists demonstrated almost 100 years ago now. And it's something that is universal across across human cultures. Uh, if you, if you, show people two shapes, one is rounded and one is more spiky, and you say to them, which one is the Maluma? Um, people will, 90% of people will say that the round one is the Maluma, and then the Takete is the name they feel goes better with the spiky shape. 
It's fascinating. And I definitely fell into that 90% of, of the round versus the, the spiky. And it's, it's so good, funny. Good. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's fascinating to see that. And so I also like, as you were mentioning before, the idea of personality traits, um, uh, people's thinking specific things about personalities uh, when they look at the way their, their names, the names are presented and, and the different sounds that are in there. And I think that's true. I was reading it and I was like, yeah, you know what? That does make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, it's a very it was a very robust finding, which is something that's always, you know, exciting for us to to come across. Um and it's this idea that if you have more round sounds in your name, um so Joanna, um Owen, Will, those are all names that have more uh round sounds. Those individuals with those names will um sort of create expectations in the minds of other people. So if you meet someone who's an Owen, you're more likely to expect them to be, to have certain personality traits. So they are um, expected to be a little bit more emotional, um, more agreeable, organized, conscientious, um, whereas someone with a name that has a lot of sharp sounds in it, like Eric or Patty, um, those names are associated with personalities that are more lively and extroverted. It's very interesting. And I think, too, of uh, friends of mine who have had children and the debate over naming babies and you want uh, names to, I guess, carry the right uh, the right feeling, if you will. And they and I, I think particularly of, of boys names. Uh, and this is this, like stereotypes that are still, uh, you know, in play in, in our society and say, oh, that's a strong name. It sounds really strong, you know. So it, it yeah. does it does come down to those types of social conversations, too. Yes, and so that's, and it's certainly the case when we look at names that get used. So we we act there's there's baby name databases we can study, and we do see that more female names tend to have those round sounds, and more male names tend to have those sharp sounds. Very interesting. I also enjoyed uh, in the article the way that it was divided up, talking about first the study, and then I love the the header: no truth to the judgment. <laughs> <laughs> no, and and I'm I was sort of relieved to find that. So so after finding in the lab that people had these very reliable associations and expectations about personality based on names, we thought you know we really need to test whether this is true in real life. So so if I meet someone who's a Kate, is she really more? extroverted. Um, And so we tested over a thousand people, we got their names and their nicknames, and then we had them do personality tests. And we found that in real life, Kate is no more likely to be extroverted than Joanna is. Um, So it's something that is just about perception and not about reality, which is really interesting. So it suggests that it's going to affect things like first impressions, so situations where you only have a name to go on, maybe because it's on the top of a resume or, or it's on a dating profile or something like that. Those are the places where we'd expect the sounds in the names to really have some implications for what people expect. Um, but over time, there's no evidence that you start to have a personality that, that matches your name. Very interesting. I guess it, it really does go back to like so many things in life. Don't judge a book by its cover. Don't judge a person by their name. Yes, although you probably can't help but do it. So, <laughs> so it's, um, yeah, it's something we all tend to do, I think, because, you know, that's what we do as humans. We look for patterns and we, um, we start to form expectations very quickly based on limited information. Um, and so it is something to think about, you know, about how as you name a child or, or choose a nickname for somebody, how the sounds in that name are probably going to create some expectations in people's minds about what that person will be like. 
Very interesting. And uh, I don't know if there are any uh, expectant parents out there listening, but I hope that they are just in food for thought as they look at that list and uh, uh, that they might have in their minds. I know there, a friend of mine used an app with his wife uh, as they were, it was it was sort of like um, <laughs> Tinder, but for baby names. So you, you yes. swipe on them. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and that is one of the things we end up with after doing all this research is lots of names and lots of information about what kinds of personalities are expected for people with those names. Very interesting. Well, Penny, thank you so much for your time today and talking about your work. Uh, it certainly has, has given me some pause for thinking about it and uh, bang on. Like it was very cool to read those, to, to read the samples and, uh, and to kind of come up with the same, the same assumptions or perceptions that you found in your work. Very interesting stuff. My pleasure, Jess. We need to take a quick break. During that break, ponder your own name. What does it suggest to you? (laughs) When we come back from the break, I'm going to give you the five other names (laughs) of the individuals who are tied uh, for the most number of goals in a game by London Knight. That's coming up on London Live on 980 CFPL. Welcome back to the program. It was pointed out to me by an avid listener that I did not say who the other five winners were of that uh, tie for most number of games. I was just really excited, okay, (laughs) that we got a winner, we were giving away the tickets, and it was great. Okay, so Rick quite rightly said Josh Beaulieu. Also, the other individuals who are tied for most number of goals in a game for London Knight, Dennis Marouk, Dave Lowry, Tim Taylor, Ron Goodall, and Corey Perry. So there you have it. Those are the other people who have tied for the most number of goals in a game as a London Knight. And that number is five goals. Very, very good. I couldn't even hope to get one ever in my life. So the fact they got five, that's very impressive indeed. Okay. We are going to take a break for news. When we come back, talking about a story out of Norfolk County. Crazy story. Just nuts. A break-in to a woman's residence while she's sleeping. Wakes up and finds someone crawling on her floor towards her purse. Terrifying. We're going to talk about that coming up after the news on 980 CFPL. Welcome back to London Live on 980 CFPL. It's Jess Brady here, your guest host. We are into hour two of... London Live on your Friday afternoon. It's a beautiful day out there. So much sunshine, blue skies, and puffy clouds. Looks great. I hope you're out there enjoying it or will very shortly be out there enjoying it because it looks just lovely. Also, I should say that uh, the whole weekend looks like it's going to be just beautiful, which is fantastic. Very excited about that. I am going to guess what? A wedding! <laughs> This is wedding two of wedding of three weddings this summer for me. So I'm excited for that. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a good time. And I'm not in seeing this one. So I have literally no work to do. I just got to show up and have a good time. I think it's going to be great. Very excited for my friend Wit and her fiance Dave. It's going to be a great time. And I hope everyone else has a lovely weekend filled with fun. Now, before the news, I told you that I was going to talk about a story that's pretty wild. This was not fun. This incident, not great, not good at all. Terrifying for the victim involved. It's out of uh, Norfolk County. And I will read you 
uh, some of the story that uh, my colleagues at 980 CFPL here did up this week. Actually, I believe it was Kelly who wrote this story. She did a really nice job with it. So an elderly woman had a scare when she woke up and found a stranger crawling on her bedroom floor while digging through a purse. That's according to OPP, who investigated a break and enter at a home just after six o'clock yesterday morning on South Drive in Simcoe. Uh. So police say the woman confronted the male suspect and fled. A neighbor next door saw the suspect, got a description of him. That's on our website, 980cfpl.ca. Now, here, if that wasn't bad enough, adding insult to injury, police have determined that a large quantity of U.S. currency was taken, as well as roughly $20,000 worth of jewelry. Ugh. Oh, my God. So not only is this poor person traumatized by the fact that they woke up and found a stranger in their house ransacking it, but now they've also lost a ton of property and cash. Just, like, awful. I can't imagine that. So OPP are using this opportunity to remind residents to, like, lock all their doors and windows, don't leave your your home unsecured. We don't know exact circumstances in this case. It's just a general good reminder. When you go to sleep, when you're at home by yourself, lock the doors just in case. And so they're asking anyone who might have information about what happened to contact them. So that's OPP or Crime Stoppers can go about the usual routes. I cannot imagine waking up to find someone in my home who I don't know, like the panic that you would feel. I mean... That's it's a serious story. It's 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 pretty nuts. Like no crime really is ever funny because obviously there are consequences to that. So I don't want anyone saying that this is that I'm going to be joking about this. But there are some cases that make you pause and think that's strange. Out of the ordinary crimes that happen sometimes, uh, ones that often come into the to our newsroom that kind of catch our attention uh meat thefts the one from last year that i vividly remember was uh, i guess it was a family and i think it was norfolk county i could be mistaken but this family was like barbecuing they left steaks outside uh by their their little grill or whatever and i think it was like in in a garage so uh, i think it was um one of the homeowners was out in the garage getting the grill all ready and he went back inside to grab something when he came out all the steaks were gone <laughs> so someone actually went into the garage was like hmm those marinated steaks look really good and they took off with them i could not imagine i hope they had a barbecue nearby or something because otherwise those would go to waste it's not good you got to cook those in a timely manner i just it's it's like i mean if you think about it you know you would hope that the person stealing the steak is not stealing it out of a, a situation where they are you know, in dire need of of sustenance, because that's that would be awful. And and obviously a lot of a lot of these crimes where there are thefts like this is a crime of opportunity. Right. And uh, we were talking a little bit about that with uh, Councillor Sean Lewis earlier in the week when we were talking about vehicle break ins and things of that nature. Uh, so certainly this is not to, you know, make light of anyone who's actually suffering in, in dire circumstances. But it, is, it does make you shake your head. Who steals a steak? Who does that? I have often quipped that I, I call it the meat mafia. They come along and they burgle your steaks, burgle your burgers, if you will. That's that's always an interesting one. There was another case from shortly after I started here at 980 CFPL, which is going back a long ways. I started here October of 2011 when I came back from Cornwall, working at our chorus station there. And I, I remember this. There was a theft from like a John Deere tractor uh, dealership. 
And someone, a suspect, got into a tractor, like one of those big ones, and took off. But if you know tractors, they don't generally drive that fast. So, or the person involved didn't know how to really drive it so that it would be moving at a at a better clip or at a better place, a pace, I should say. So this individual took officers on like a low speed tractor chase from the dealership into almost St. Thomas, I think, if I remember correctly. And they tried to like deploy the spike belts and they couldn't because the tires on these things were so massive that it, it just, it kind of, I think it just went like right over it or the person was able to avoid it. Now, eventually... It did come to a stop. The back window, I think, on on the tractor was was open. And I, I believe officers were able to like like when it had kind of hit into one of one of their vehicles, one of the police vehicles, it stalled, it stopped. And that was their chance to like move in. I think they may have tased the individual or use a conducted energy weapon on the suspect. But that one is another one where I was like, wow, it's like a low speed. And again, not making light necessarily because it was a dangerous situation. You have someone who's not trained in a vehicle. That is, uh, you know, on 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 the lamb. They're on the lamb in a tractor. That's not good. But it, again, it's one of those cases where you you think about it and you're like, wow, that is different. You don't hear about that every day. Sort of like our wavy walkway in St. Thomas. It's out there. It's different. Yeah. So these are some of the gems that we come across in the newsroom. You hear about these cases and you think, ah, that's odd. That is a different a different type of story. Certainly it makes you scratch your head a little bit. Anyway. So I thought I would just share that. But in this instance, I've kind of deviated from the initial case, which is quite serious and a very good reminder that uh, we need to be making sure we lock our doors and things of that nature, doing all we can to, you know, try and keep our property and 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 stuff safe. But uh, I do hope that the local police who are investigating this are able to uh, to solve this case and uh, hopefully get the property back for the individual that it was taken from. And I, again, I can't imagine having that happen to me. It's just such a such an oddity. And uh, I hope that they're OK, that the victim in this case is, is doing all right and is getting the support they need. Good for them for scaring the person off. That's I we were, I wonder what they said. Or if the person was just so startled that they they took off, leaving a uh, a cloud of smoke in their in their wake, like Wiley e. Coyote or the Roadrunner when they take off running. It must have been a very startling situation for for both individuals, but for very different reasons. And I'm glad that the victim was not harmed. That is obviously the most important thing. Uh, what a what a case! So there you go. You have your interesting crime story for your Friday afternoon from me. There you go. So I have a question for you. Would you ever consider giving up soap? Hmm. It's an interesting question. And one that I think I would probably say, no, I I don't think I would give up soap. But when we come back from our break, that's coming up very shortly, we are going to talk to someone who has given up soap. And for a number of years now, the person is Jackie Hong. She is a reporter with Yukon News up in Yukon. And she's talked about this a number of times, and she was on our sister station in uh, Hamilton just yesterday talking about this. She's written about it, and uh, yeah, so she's given up soap for her own her own cleaning regimen of herself, her personal uh, cleaning. She still uses uh, soap to wash her hands uh, for those, for, you know, when you need to wash your hands, which is very important for infection control and uh, all sorts of sanitary reasons. So don't give up that. Make sure you're washing your hands properly. Um, but yeah, so Jackie's going to come on the show in, in about four minutes time or so 
to chat about this and and her decision to to go soapless and how how that works for her because there are quite a few people it turns out who are doing this very interesting it's thought provoking I am interested to hear more about what Jackie has to say about it. It's it's definitely different. And at first, when I heard about this, I thought, what? And then I did a little more reading. And uh, I was like, well, that's I suppose that's interesting. There are dermatologists who are like, yeah, they're they're not. I, I don't know. Like some are on board with it entirely. But others have said, yeah, this is this is fine. Like it's doable. So we're going to talk about all of that coming up on London Live on 980 CFPL. Welcome back to the program. It is London Live on 980 CFPL. Jess Brady here, your guest host for the week. Mike is on vacation. He is back on Monday. So before the break, I told you that we were going to be talking about soap. And I asked you, would you ever give up using soap in your personal, you know, hygiene routine? Would you have a shower without soap? Would you? All these things. Well, I asked you. Because as I told you, we were going to talk with someone who has indeed given up soap. And it's been a number of years now that they have not used soap. It's very interesting. I am intrigued and I'm excited to chat uh, with Jackie Hong, who is a reporter with Yukon News. Jackie, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. My pleasure. And it's, uh, you know, a beautiful day here in London. How is it up in Yukon? Are you in Whitehorse exactly or whereabouts are you? Yeah, I'm in Whitehorse. It was minus one when I woke up, <laughs> but it's a little warmer now, so I'm feeling okay. Well, that's good. I am glad to hear that then. Uh, and again, thanks again for coming on the show this afternoon. I appreciate it. And uh, I've been thinking about this uh, interview since well before yesterday when we initially chatted to set up our time here. But I, I just kept thinking about it. And I, I was visiting with my parents last night and I told them about it. And uh, they are very intrigued as well. So tell me, first of all, how did this journey start for you with, with kind of getting away from soap, giving soap the slide, if you will? So it actually started back in 2010 for me. I was in high school in Toronto and we had an artisan residence and I would hang out at his studio a lot. And one day we were just kind of chatting and he mentioned that he hadn't used soap in 20 years. So my initial reaction was, ew, gross. You know? <laughs> um, and he instantly came back with, well, do I smell? And he honestly didn't. Huh. So that's really what started it all for me. Okay. Yeah, because that's that would have been, I guess, a, a shocking sort of situation to be in, especially like you're in high school, right? And and uh, if you've only ever only used soap, then to see something that's so completely opposite to to what you're used to doing, it would be a little jarring. Um, what made you decide to try it to, to move forward? So you, you had this conversation and then it got you thinking, obviously. Honestly, that was it because this artist was someone I really looked up to. I thought he was super cool. Um, I would consider him a friend. So in my head, in my 16-year-old head, I was like, if it works for him, then why wouldn't it work for me? And literally that night I went home and just did not use soap when I showered. Ha, huh, okay. Now, <laughs> you, you set me on the path to learning more about this, started your journey from the article that you wrote for a Toronto Star a couple of years ago. And I thought it was really neat, like how, and you like you talked to experts as well uh, in the field talking about uh, skin chemistry, if you will, the microbiome. Um, can you explain a little bit about like why this works then? It's for anyone who's thinking, no way, this can't possibly be a thing. It, it definitely is. Yeah, so microbiomes, they're kind of like the collection of bacteria that live 
on certain parts of our body. I think a lot of people are familiar, for example, with our gut bacteria. You know, you go into the grocery store and there's yogurt advertises probiotics. Well, we, we have little colonies of bacteria and other little critters all over and inside our bodies. And one of them is the skin microbiome. And there's a lot of cool research coming out. But uh, I think that for the most people, your microbiomes all over your body are pretty good at kind of keeping everything in check, you know, and you don't necessarily need to be wiping them out just because they're bacteria. They're actually beneficial bacteria. Hmm. Okay. And it's, it's interesting to like, to hear about it. And uh, like, as you mentioned, like the advertising for different brands, like yogurt and stuff like that. I know that certain um, skincare brands like Dove, they talk about microbiome in their ads now. And I never really clued in that that's what it was. I was like, oh, it's just more gentle on your skin. Great. But I I had never connected those dots. So when I was doing some reading ahead of ahead of this chat yesterday, um, I, uh, I thought, oh, the little light bulb went off. And I was like, oh, so that's what that is. Mm-hmm. I think I think the word microbiome, it's kind of a nicer word than saying colonies of bacteria that live all over you. <laughs> yeah, right? it's better branding. Because, yeah, because for the average person, I think when you think bacteria, you think disease and death and illness. But like I said, there's tons of beneficial bacteria that are necessary for human life. Absolutely. Yeah. And and so tell me, uh, Jackie, when you first started out with this, was it a success right away? Did you like did you notice that it took some time for your skin to adjust or was it like a success right off the bat? For me, it was a success right off the bat because, again, I was 16 when I started this and in high school. So if there was any sort of transition period where I was greasy or if I smelled, I definitely would not have stuck with it because high school <laughs> kids and teenage girls you know, oh, God, are yeah. mean. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. If anything, I noticed a bit of an improvement in that my skin wasn't as dry anymore. And also my face, because as many teenagers do, I did struggle with like oily skin and mm. acne. But I noticed that the oil kind of eased off a bit once I wasn't bombarding my face with a new face wash every couple of weeks. Right. Yeah. And so often like doctors will say, like, don't overdo it with with things on your face. Like if you are struggling with acne, I'm putting my hand up right now. You can't see it, but (laughs) my hands up. Uh, Uh It is a struggle on the daily. Um, But yeah, because if you do too much, then your skin just gets irritated and then it's you're making an even worse situation for yourself. Mm -hmm. And one of the really interesting things I learned uh, when I wrote my original article back in 2017, I spoke to a dermatologist who teaches at U of T, and she was telling me that in her practice, more often than not, she's telling people to stop washing so much, Mm. stop using so many products, because uh, on top of all the microbiome stuff, you're stripping, soap strips away the natural oils and fats on your skin that are kind of like mortar between the bricks of your skin cells. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's 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 interesting too because you, I've, in in some of the reading like that you were quoted in, and then also your article, people have talked about how so socially our ideas of cleanliness and bathing have changed a lot, even in say like the last uh, 50, 60 years, right? Because it was not so long ago that people didn't bathe every single day. It was more like maybe once a week or twice a week, and now it's it's most of us or a lot of people uh, are are bathing nearly every single day in in some respect. Mm-hmm. One of the another interesting thing I found out when doing research for the original article is I spoke to a researcher who's down at the University of Chicago, and he was saying that he described it as sort of a psychological hangover, this need to constantly be scrubbing and to be clean and to use soap and cleaning products, because not that long ago, we did live in this 
much filthier society with more dangerous pathogens and bacteria floating mm-hmm. around. But nowadays, thanks to, you know, vaccines, the miracles of modern medicine, your local public health works department, we're living in a relatively sanitary time and you no longer need that intense cleaning, that intense scrubbing and all those products to maintain good health and hygiene. But I think it's been so ingrained for so long that it's just a hard habit to break. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can think right now my mind is going towards the uh, the old saying, was it cleanliness is next to godliness, you know, like so <laughs> exactly. it's, it's very much in, in pop culture. And uh, yeah, like it's you're absolutely bang on right that it is uh, much more of like that psychological need to do it versus uh, actual proven fact based need to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's pretty wild. So I I wonder now then is it have have people changed their reactions to you when they find out? Like I'm I'm also guessing that you probably just don't go walk around and like broadcast it. So it probably only comes up in in like a natural flow of conversation. But how do people usually react? Uh, yeah, you're correct. It's not like I'm like, hi, I'm Jackie. I don't use soap. How are you doing today? We're you know? a sign, yeah. Um, but if it does come up. Uh, Honestly, most people kind of react like how I reacted to the artist back in the day. Mm-hmm. There's, there's kind of the you gross the initial kind of shock or surprise, but I find for most people the next thing they say is why. Mm-hmm. You know, it's more curiosity than uh, I guess outright disgust. <laughs> um, and if they're coming from sort of that good place, that that curiosity, I'm happy to have this discussion like we're having now. Yeah. But there have been a couple of people who are just straight up disgusted and almost kind of angry mm. at me. So, but for the most part, it is that curiosity. Interesting. Yeah. It's always good to come from a place of, like you said, curiosity, ask like respectful questions, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and then it's it's great to have someone like yourself who is willing to be open and chat about these things because it, it makes for a thoughtful and interesting discussion, learning about things that you didn't necessarily know about. And then who knows, maybe that leads people to, to make some different choices for themselves that who knows, maybe it'll benefit their skin if they if they are uh, interested in, in giving it a whirl. Exactly. It's been a bit bizarre just sharing my personal hygiene habits with thousands of people at this point, but hey, if the educational part is working, then all for the better. <laughs> That's too funny. I feel like it's it's kind of um, where we are as a society now where we're starting to question a bit more, uh, you know, established, um, I guess, practices for things as we think more environmentally. Uh, you know, we're also thinking more about uh, products that we use on our own bodies, not just on the, the body of the earth, if you will. So it's it's interesting to see that there's more thoughtful discussion, more, more interesting discussions in general about these things that affect us. And, uh, you know, there's not just one right way one right way to do things. You can you can be different. You can do what works for you. Mm-hmm, exactly. Fantastic. Well, Jackie, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. And uh, thank you for, for taking the time to chat with us about this and educate us about letting go of soap in some respects. <laughs> no worries. Have a great rest of your day. Take care. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye. So there you have it. Jackie Hong with Yukon uh, News. She's up in Whitehorse chatting about Letting soap go, but still using it to wash your hands for sanitary purposes. Yeah, that's very important. But for the rest of your body, in your regular hygiene schedule, eh, maybe try it if you're interested. There's lots of good reading out there on it. Very interesting. Okay, we need to take a quick break. When we come back from the 2.30 news, we're going to talk about a story that has made people laugh and also made them feel a little bit perplexed. Have you heard about this? 30 to 50 feral hogs? Yeah, 
If it sounds like I'm talking gibberish, uh, you're not entirely wrong. It's from Twitter, and often there's a lot of nonsense on Twitter. But we're talking about how this went viral. We'll explain more about it after the break on 980 CFPL. Welcome back to the program. It's Jess Brady here, your guest host for Mike. He's on vacation this week. Now, when we left off before the news, I told you that we were going to be talking about a story that it really took off after the weekend. And it was it's 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 a funny story born out of a very tragic two stories. So I told you or I asked you rather, have you heard of 30 to 50 feral hogs? <laughs> Sounds like gibberish, right? Well, it took off on Twitter in the wake of the shootings last weekend in El Paso and in Ohio. And it has to do with the debate over gun control in the states, especially when it comes to assault rifles. So it all started with a tweet from someone who is from a more rural community in the states. And I believe the whole point of it was, if we don't have these assault rifles, what am I going to do when 30 to 50 feral hogs get into my yard when my kids are outside and basically saying that he needs to take care of these hogs? take care of, quote unquote, you know, defend his children against these hogs. So Twitter took off. And even though this was like a like a pretty serious response to the gun control debate and questions over restrictions on certain types of uh, uh, firearms, uh, people had a field day with the idea of, of hogs attacking. Now, I will say that feral hogs are a real issue, if people aren't aware. I actually talked about this last month or the month before when I was filling in for Mike. Um, And they are spreading rapidly across uh, North America. And and a lot of jurisdictions have problems handling them. They're very hardy. They can withstand lots of weather conditions. Um, Anyway, so the whole point of of this is that a lot of people probably don't realize, A, that there are issues with feral hogs um, that might require, require, you know, actually... Uh, taking action against them. So it just took off. And there were tons of memes, uh, people joking about these feral hogs, giving them all sorts of personality traits and funny situations that they're put into. But the underlying issue was that it was, you know, uh, uh, flying off, taking off from this, these tragic events. And it has led people to really think about how we as a society deal with dark times, which we encounter a lot these days. So joining me on the line right now is someone who really looks at these issues, and that's Megan Bowler. She's a professor and associate chair in the Department of Social Justice Education at the University of Toronto. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me this afternoon. Yes, it's a pleasure, Jess. So first of all, I'm going to ask you, what was your reaction to the 30 to 50 feral hogs uh, meme slash tweets going kind of viral? What did you think when you first saw it? Well, um, I, I spent my time and I sent her invitation to uh, discuss this, looking at um, uh, yeah, what appeared to be the motivation or um, how would we classify these kinds of tweets, uh, what was the significance of it, given the larger uh, conversation being one about um, assault rifles and the sale of assault rifles and the NRA in um, the United States in particular in the wake of these tragedies. So, um yeah, I mean, uh, my my concern is that this is yet one more example of the the um, 
the dangers, really, of social media upending uh, and reframing news agendas. So in this case, um, I, I think many would argue that this, uh, this shifted the conversation to a question of uh, shouldn't we have assault rifles to um, kill feral hogs? And then there was lots of discussion about that feral hogs are, I mean, a lot of the news coverage is now talking about the problem of feral hogs. So, I mean, uh, well, then a lot of other people were making fun, uh, you know, laughing about, wow, are we really talking about feral hogs when we were talking about, you know, the hundreds of people who have died um, because of, the profitability of the NRA in the United States and their lobby. So to me, it's uh, illustrative and demonstrates the way in which it is so easy today compared to uh, any other time. It is so easy for uses of social media to distract us from the serious questions around um, public concerns and and human rights uh, in the news. So, uh, what are, you know, how are we planning to deal with this? I mean, the the fact is that since... um, 2015, uh, journalists, the journalist uh, industry and profession has been struggling with, do we cover Mm. uh, Donald Trump's tweets? Is that a distraction? And many journalists have agreed, yes, it is. And we're going to consistently not cover those tweets because it is a distraction. It does end up being clickbait or or fluff pieces. And, you know, even that recent um, uh, magazine that, that said we're not going to talk about Trump in this issue, and they used an image of Trump on the front, right? So, you know, it's it's these questions of how we get people's attention and the strategies for that and and what that means for us as a as a, you know, a community, a public that needs to have a shared sense of what are the important questions brought to our attention in the news and how do we have important and meaningful conversations to make uh, policy changes as needed, for example, or, you know, be informed about um, the important aspects of, um, of moving forward to make the world a better place. Certainly. Yeah, there's and you're bang on uh, in terms of the discussions that have been happening and, uh, you know, just how we stay on point, stay on track and and not get distracted. Something Mm -hmm. that this this whole thing, it it made me sad in a lot of ways. Um, One of the memes that I think kind of summed it up best was, you know, the distracted boyfriend meme where there's a Mm -hmm. woman a walking away from a couple and and the boyfriend or whomever is turned around looking at her. So woman a is feral hogs, the one that's walking away. The boyfriend yes. is the person desperately <laughs> seeking distraction from from yes. terrible events in the world. And I think it just speaks to how tired a lot of people are of 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 terrible news that is that keeps of happening. Course. And it's the reality of the world. Unfortunately, these things happen. Um, and you know, everyone is hoping that there are some kind of action steps that are going to take place mm-hmm. soon. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just feel like people are so tired of of sadness and tragedy mm-hmm. and so they cling mm-hmm. to anything that'll give them a bit of joy sure i mean that's why um you know cats and kittens are so darn popular yeah. on, on the internet yeah right right next right after pornography but i mean yeah. so to me though there's there's two issues there's one which is a long time recognized issue of quote-unquote compassion fatigue or the ways in which um you know exposure to so much negativity in the news, it can be very draining. And so, you know, there's all sorts of conversations to be had about how to, you know, modulate how much we consume and how to balance that out. Um, and so we, need, we need relief. But when I think, um, I, I think there's such an important distinction between how this particular kind of distraction 
uh, works or whether it offers some relief and then thinking about maybe uh, the usefulness of parody or satire. So because we're talking somewhat about humor and memes, it's relevant to think about um, political parody and satire that does, in a way, offer relief. So think about Samantha Bee or John Oliver, um, of course, uh, uh, John Stewart and Stephen Colbert set mm-hmm. the bar really high in terms of this, but being able to use humor to still bring people uh, important news, but it's a news that um, it was coverage that not only made us laugh, but made us think. And that was because uh, in those cases, the satire is, is, as they say, biting up. It's pointing a finger at those in power and asking um, the audience to think about uh, the ways in which we can um, hold those in power responsible and use humor as a critique and uh, a way to say, um, you know, that we are evaluating uh, politicians or, you know, uh, administration's actions and et cetera, right? So to me, that's a very different and important category of the use of humor in politics, whereas these, um, you know, more frivolous, the, this became, to me, a frivolous uh, matter. I mean, it's you know, of course, feral hogs may not be a frivolous matter, but <laughs> for someone to or to argue that um, we should, you know, it shifts the conversation. It shifts the conversation to are there legitimate reasons to um, to have have assault rifles? That is not relevant to the question of should assault rifles be available in Walmart? You mm-hmm. know, that's a very important question. And so, the fact that a huge amount of a news cycle gets taken up with thinking about feral hogs and whether we're laughing or crying or whatever we're doing, um, it, it to me is deeply disturbing in terms of the the urgent need we have to um, to of course as you say to figure out how to how to engage with the news and not get overwhelmed, not get uh, emotionally fatigued and burnt out and all of that, but to to stay in pain as a, as a public, you know. Yeah, no, it's very true. Um, something else that I I find that. Um, these these viral, I guess I don't want to call them a fad, but it's like a mm-hmm. like a meme mm-hmm. or whatever that kind of takes mm-hmm. off. It, it's kind of a window into the minds of a lot of people of how they feel mm-hmm. about these issues, right? Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. idea that, and I don't I don't want to go too too hard on this yeah. individual who tweeted originally because I mean yeah. I don't have him on the show to defend himself. Sure, but he the idea that that for him the feral hog thing is more important than lessening attacks on innocent people as they go about their day to day lives. That mm-hmm. to me is also concerning that that's the mindset. But then again, that's that's a whole other kettle of fish in terms of how, uh, you know, a, a population views views gun control. And there are a lot of questions about how how they've reached the situation and why people are so entrenched in this belief. Um, but, yeah, it, it just is a window into how we think as a society about these things. Yes. Yes, indeed. It's a it's a window into that. And um, what surprised me too, in looking at the news coverage about the memes around feral hogs is that uh, there wasn't a lot of deep digging into um, how, like, I don't know, I, I cannot claim that this particular, um, you know, tweet about feral hogs is, a, you know, is in fact a representative of how, um, uh, but what I'm trying to say is that it is very often the case that um, on the alt-right, on the extreme right, there are very savvy uses of media to shift and distract attention in mm. this way. So whether or not this was one of those cases, I cannot say. But what I noticed in the news coverage is that that is not being investigated right now. And that what 
I would want to urge um, your listeners to think about is the way in which um, these techniques are being very carefully sought out and worked out, particularly on the right, in terms of how to distract attention and grab public attention and get people talking about the news uh, or framing issues such as gun, gun uh, ownership in the way that the right or libertarians in this case, because that person who tweeted was uh, a vowed libertarian, mm-hmm. how they want to, you know, see things go. So it has shifted the conversation very effectively. Yep. And that's very disturbing. And I think that those who are concerned that the conversation go in different ways need to figure out equally sophisticated and clever ways of creating means to keep the conversation where we want it to go. Absolutely. Well, Professor Bowler, thank you so much for your sharing your insight into this matter. It's certainly been uh, educational to, to hear your perspective. And, and thank you so much for your time this afternoon. It's a pleasure, Jess. Take care. You as well. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So there you have it. 30 to 50 feral hogs. Perhaps have a chuckle, but then get back to the matter at hand, which is looking seriously at the issue of gun control and... My goodness, <laughs> I would not want to be a legislator in the States. Or maybe, yeah, let me be a legislator. I mean, one person can't change it alone, can't change what's going on there. But something, something has to change. Like, I don't, I don't know. I, mm, we're not going to get into this into this uh, issue right now because it's, it's too vast. And yeah, it's not, this is not the time or place for it. But excellent points made by Professor Megan Bowler of the Department of Social Justice Education at U of T. And I thank her for coming on the show this afternoon to share her thoughts about this whole viral meme. Hogs, my goodness. But they are serious. Feral hogs are a big deal, just saying. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about something that is much more lighthearted. <laughs> and it has to do with uh, also your chance to win tickets to go see a new production of Grease at the Huron County Playhouse. That's coming up on London Live on 980 CFPL. Welcome back to the program. We've only got a few minutes left of the show today. My goodness, it flies the time so fast. So before the break, I told you that uh, we will have your chance to win tickets to see Grease, a new production at the Huron County Playhouse up in Grand Bend. Joining me on the line to talk about this new production is one of the stars of the show, Erica Peck. She plays Rizzo. Erica, thanks so much for joining me this afternoon. It's a pleasure to chat with you. Oh, I'm happy to do it. We have, uh, you know, obviously this production of Grease that's coming up. It's, you know, it's it's one of those productions uh, that no matter, I feel like, who you are, it, it is uh, a show that you just can enjoy. And because it's so ingrained in in our uh, pop culture, I feel like, I mean, how, how cool is it to be involved in a production like this? Oh, it's it's wonderful. And one of the really cool things about the stage show is people come and they know the movie so well, they know the music so well, and that's amazing. But we add just a little bit extra. There's a few small differences, nothing that's taken away, but only things added. So it's kind of like people get, I don't know, a a little, like a bonus addition. Yeah. And it would be like nice little surprises too. Like as they're, as you said, you know, they, they know everything so well that if there's a tiny difference, they might be, Ooh, that's new. That's different. Yeah. But all the things that they know and love and are hoping to see, 
we make sure that we protected them. Um, we made sure that we put them in and kept them for the audience because, you know, those are those are classic moments. We're not we're not here to reinvent the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that can be a tricky thing because there's a lot of uh, I guess weightiness to a production like this as as because it is so well loved um, and and it I, it reminds me of all of the um, I guess the rebooted versions of like Disney films recently and and how people talk about the pressure to create something uh, new while also honoring the past. So it sounds like you guys have have really done a nice job of that. Well, we wanted to make sure that we brought our own you know artistic player to it. I mean, we're not, I, I hate to break it to you, I'm not Stockard Channing. I think she's great, um, but I have to bring a little bit of myself into that because that's, that's what we do as actors, um, but also respecting what was created by those artists. Absolutely. And like, let's talk more about your role specifically, as you mentioned, uh, Stalker Channing. Rizzo, she is just a force to be reckoned with that character. And, you know, obviously with Grease, you think of uh, Sandy and Danny and, and you know, the, the I guess the archetype that Sandy is. But Rizzo, she is just so cool. And, you know, she she is, as I said, a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's a really nice thing to play a character who might be you know somewhat misunderstood um because really like it's important i know riz rizzo has like a hard exterior but there is a wonderful soft and humorous loyal side to her and i think it's important to bring that out um it could be easy to slip into a place where it's fun to be mean but that's not who rizzo is and not what she is so really my my focus is um is to to show all the sides of her Certainly. Yeah, no, it's it's true. I think back to uh, back to the film. And, uh, you know, like you said, she has that tough exterior. She's hard on the outside. But when you have, you know, her solo, that song when she's uh, when she thinks she's pregnant and she sees Kaniki in the background and, uh, you know, like she's very emotional in that way. But you see that she's a, she's a she's a tough cookie. She's uh, soft on the inside, as you said, but that with that hard exterior, it's it must be um, neat to to kind of go about the work of putting your own twist on that and and portraying it for the audience it is i actually feel bad every night when i have to hurt my sweet kinicky um played by a wonderful actor named seth johnson he i feel so sad because he looks so sad (laughs) and i guess everyone's doing their job but it is i have a little inward like moment where i i feel bad which is which is you know part of the actor's journey i suppose but um but yeah no all in we're having an absolutely fantastic time um tickets are selling extremely fast. In in fact, even we are having trouble getting tickets for our friends and family to come. Um, So if people do want to come, I do suggest not leaving it till the last minute because we're we're almost uh, sold out of our run in Grand Bend. That's amazing. Yeah, this is and it's coming up fast. Like, tell me about, uh, I guess, you know, as as the clock ticks down towards opening uh, the show opening, I mean, there must be preparations ramping up and everything, eh? Yeah, absolutely. We've moved into the theater. We've uh, done a completely new technical process. We have to, you know, reset all of the lights, fix all of the sound levels um, for a whole new space. And we had our first two audiences yesterday, and um, and they were absolutely fantastic. They were, you know, uh, thrilled to see the show, and uh, I, I, it seemed that they were thrilled with the version that we did, which is amazing. Um, and we're in a beautiful space here. So the us as actors, like as people outside of Greece, are so happy. And, and honestly, backstage, we get along so well. And I don't know what it is, but there really is a magic to that. You can always tell when a cast is truly friends. Um, 
And, uh, and I just, I feel extremely grateful to be a part of it. Well, it sounds like there, as you said, you know, there is a, a real genuine connection that uh, is is running through the cast and everything. And it's it sounds like it's going to be amazing. So Sunday is the the official grand opening, I, I suppose. And uh, tell me, what, what do you do like to prep on the day of, of opening? Well, you know, this is a bit of a unique situation because we've already actually run the show for a month and a half in another space, um, in another town. Right. Uh, so... So really, uh, it's kind of nice this time because we feel very secure in what we're doing. Um, so you don't feel that same pressure. You, well, I shouldn't say that. You don't feel the same questioning of like, it, are my choices right? Are we doing right by the audience and what they are hoping to see? Instead, we can kind of be like, I think this is right. And we just we still put the same amount of hard work and focus in, but I think we can breathe a little, uh, a little freer which is very nice as an actor. And I think the audience feels that too. You know, um, when you work in the business, traditionally opening nights are, are never really the actual show that you're going to see because people are so nervous and there's so much pressure. In this case, we get all the joy and excitement of an opening night and we can just focus on what we already know and love. It's, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity. Certainly, yeah, and it makes perfect sense the way you've explained that there. And, uh, you know, all the audiences who come to see you, I'm sure that they are just going to revel in that uh, beautiful performance that you're all going to put on. And, and Erica, thank you so much for taking the time out to uh, chat with us about this process and all of the prep that's gone into it. And uh, uh, we wish you a very successful run. Oh, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Okay, Londoners and those in our listening area, if you want your chance to have two tickets to the final show in Grand Bend of Greece on Saturday, August 31st at 7.30 in the evening. You need to call in right now, 519-643-2222, and tell me which character Erica Peck is playing. Who is she portraying on stage in Greece? 519-643-2222, That is it from us today. You'll chat with uh, producer Kelly when you call in to give her your answer. Thank you so much to Kelly, to Matt Trevithick, to Craig Needles, Devin Peacock, Jacqueline Carbone, everyone, all my guests uh, that were on the show this week. And Mike Stubbs is back with you on Monday. Have a fantastic, safe and happy weekend. Take care. Bye bye.